Well, I'd like to invite you to take out your copy of Scripture and turn to Psalm 23 as we continue our way slowly through this psalm. Uh, We find ourselves in the fourth verse this morning, particularly the the first half of the first verse of, uh, or the first half of uh, the fourth verse, and then um, we will continue our way into the, the second half of the fourth verse next week. And uh, I'm going to read the whole text if you want to follow along and listen with hearts full of gratitude to our God for being our good shepherd. Let's listen to this psalm with reverence and joy. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you uh, anoint the preaching of your word with the presence and power of your spirit, that this word might go forth into our hearts and convict where it needs to convict, comfort where it needs to comfort. Seal it upon our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Terror is the order of the day. Or so said one of the members of France's Committee for Public Safety on September 5, 1793, the day many believe to be the beginning of France's reign of terror. Uh, he, he said it to... Uh, try to inspire fear into the, the hearts of the opponents to the French Revolution. And as history tells us, uh, indeed, terror was the order of the day. Many in, in not only France, but all of Western Europe were indeed fearful and frightened because of the turbulent events that were taking place in those nations. Well, in many ways, uh, the, the same could be said of our time and place in human history. We're, we're not facing a revolution like, like uh, France was at the time, but if you have a conversation with, with anyone, uh, with your neighbor over your backyard fence, with your cashier at the grocery store, with your friend from high school over social media, wh- whoever it is, the, the, the sort of general feeling being expressed is one of a fear and terror. Fear of, of illness, fear of, of ruin, fear of loss, fear of, of danger. And in many ways, it may be intensified at this time, but at, at, at the same time, the, the feeling of fear is not a new one. And fear is a feeling and experience. So, so universally human, everyone is uh, familiar with the feeling and experience of fear. Everyone knows it's Dread. This is actually one of the ways that we're, we're kind of like sheep. Sheep are fearful 
creatures. Philip Keller, we read this quote from him several weeks ago, but he said that sheep are are so timid and easily panicked that even a stray jackrabbit suddenly bounding from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. As long as there's even the slightest suspicion of danger from dogs, coyotes, cougars, bears, or other enemies, the sheep stand up ready to flee for their lives. They're, They're fickle and frightened creatures. We human beings are very much the same way. Just an iota of self-knowledge would reveal to us how much we are actually driven and motivated by fear and so much of what we say, do, and think. And yet from this psalm here, David shows us that we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to be controlled and crippled by fear in our lives. Even when we, when we face danger and difficulty, we, we don't need to be overcome by fear. And why does he say? He, he says it's because if, if you're one of God's sheep, you don't need to be overcome by fear because he is with you. He is with you. And that's our sort of big idea this morning. In, in danger and difficulty, we don't need to be controlled by fear. We don't need to be overcome by fear because our God is with us. And we're going to unpack that big idea by looking at the plights of life, the problem of fear, and the presence of God. And first, we see the plights of life here. In the very first part of our, of our text, uh, David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, as you'll remember last week, we, we saw that the Lord leads his people in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And apparently, the righteous paths that we're walking in as we follow the Lord, will sometimes include these dark and dangerous valleys that David speaks of here. Often, the path to the the greenest pastures and the the most refreshing waters is is through such a valley. And uh, Philip Keller speaks about this when he says that that leading through such valleys is actually a a kind of seasonal activity for shepherds and and their flocks. They'll typically, typically spend winter in the lowlands, And uh, when summer draws near, they will walk through the valleys to the highlands to spend the summer there. Uh, They must do this because the the lowlands during the winter provide the best sources of food and drink for the sheep during those months. But it's it's difficult because these valleys contain many, many dangers. And since the sun doesn't reach every part of the valley, uh, much of the valley can be covered by shadow, and, and there might be uh, predators hiding in these shadows. There might be uh, uh, lions or hyenas or coyotes or, or bears or something hiding in the, in the many shadows in these valleys, and they might jump out and, and uh, attack the flock. Uh, or perhaps they might hide behind a, a kind of large boulder uh, that's fallen into the valley and, and jump out from behind a large boulder and, and attack one of the flock, or, or perhaps one of those boulders that's fallen into the valley uh, might fall into the valley while the, the flock is walking through, and it might uh, fall into one of the sheep and, and injure them or possibly kill them. Uh, another potential danger is that of flash floods. Um, it's not uncommon for this part of the world for a, a sort of sudden storm to come in into a, uh, a dried-up valley and bring an enormous amount of water, which of course could potentially sweep away some of the sheep, the, the potential plights are many. The valley is a dangerous place. And likewise, the, the metaphor suggests that as we sojourn through this, this present age, we're subject to walking through many such valleys in our lives. We're subject to the, to the many pains and plights 
of life. As the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, he says that we shouldn't be surprised when we meet with fiery trials as if something strange were happening to us. Um, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we experience danger and difficulty. We, we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves in the valley because as, uh, as uh, the, the psalmist says here, uh, we're going to walk through those valleys, in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, uh, of course, our, our translation suggests that the, the valley in plight uh, David is referring to here is the valley in plight of death. Our, our translation calls it the, the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, with this understanding, ministers have often read this psalm at the deathbeds of, of many Christians, uh, and rightfully so, since there's, there's kind of immeasurable comfort uh, found here for God's fearful sheep. Uh, but more recent scholarship tends to be in agreement that, that that's actually not the best translation, that instead it would be more accurate to translate it uh, as, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Uh, and that instead of understanding this verse to speak about death specifically, uh, it's just gen- more, speaking more generally uh, about the various troubles and trials and plights and pains that we walk through in this life. And of course, that would include the plight and pain of death, but it's not, it's not limited to it. And uh, to those sorts of plights and, and pains, uh, the human author of the psalm, he was no stranger. Uh, David grew up in, in a home and he seemed to be overlooked by his father and treated uh, less honorably. He was treated as, as less honorably than his brothers were. Uh, and when he grew up into adulthood, he, he suffered persecution at the hands of, of the most powerful man in his kingdom by King Saul. The king hated David. He, he slandered him. He even conspired against him to have him killed. Of course, David later became king himself, but his troubles didn't end there. He continued to, be, uh, face, he continued to face many troubles. He was tempted and he often succumbed to temptation to, to abuse his power as king. As a result, his, his kingdom experienced plagues and rebellions. He fought in battles. He saw friends die. In those battles, he often had close uh, calls when it came to dying himself. He had marital and parenting difficulties. He had one child die as a baby. Another was sexually assaulted. Another betrayed him. We could go on. Suffice it to say, David walked through, through many dark valleys throughout his life. He suffered from many different pains and plights in his life. We all do. And, and, and so we would do well to recognize here that life, life is hard. Living in a fallen world is hard. There are illnesses and injuries. Our bodies break down and age and eventually expire and even before that day of expiration comes, we suffer problems of, of economic ruin and financial lack and job loss. There are familial tensions and brokenness. There's abuse and violence. There are the deaths of loved ones. There are famines. There are uh, systemic injustices and, and violations of human rights. There are Christians throughout our world who, who are facing true and intense persecution on account of the faith. And, 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 and none of this should surprise us as if something strange were happening to us. Many are the valleys we walk through as human beings. Many are the valleys we walk through as God's people. Many are the plights of life. And yet the words of David we see next here show us that, that we can face the plights of life without being contr- uh, controlled or overcome 
by the problem of fear. And next we see the problem of fear. And David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's saying that, that whatever comes and whatever difficulty and darkness he might walk through, whatever pain and plight comes, he will not be uh, overcome by and controlled by fear. And, and, and notice, of course, he doesn't say that no evil will befall him. He says he will not fear it. He, he knows that the day is coming when all evil will be cleansed from the earth at the return of Christ. But that time hasn't come yet. And when walking through these, these valleys, predators may attack, boulders may fall, floods may come. Dangers will befall us. But, but he says he will not be controlled and overcome by the problem of fear. For as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, we need to approach this very carefully, don't we? This particular verse and others like it have been used and abused and misunderstood many times. And it might be abused in a number of different ways, but two of them might be. First, it might be abused by Christians as a sort of unsympathetic rebuke toward those who sense fear, who feel fear. who And, and it's, it's sort of used to intend to make them feel guilty for feeling afraid. Or it might be used, as a, uh, on the other hand, as a, a sort of braggadocious boast by Christians who feel a, a sense of pride and superiority when they don't feel afraid in the face of danger. And you may have witnessed these, these sorts of abuses in, in the church, in your family, and probably on the internet, probably on the internet. But part of the problem with these kinds of errors is that they, they fail to take into account a couple of things. First, they, they fail to take into account that fear is actually not always sinful. Okay, it's not always sinful. First, they, they fail to take into account that, that fear is not always sinful. To be sure, fear can be sinful or it can be uh, stemming from a, a root of sin, depending on what it is you're fearing or how intense your fear is. But, but fear is not always sinful. Okay, some fears are perfectly healthy, natural, even godly. Uh, for example, we're actually commanded to fear God in Scripture, to treat Him and approach Him with reverence and awe. Uh, the Proverbs will actually tell us that such fear is the beginning of wisdom and godliness. And not only that, but there's also a kind of healthy fear we can experience in the face of, of practical dangers at times as well. That is it's perfectly healthy and natural for us as human beings. If you're about to go skydiving, you might feel, you might have a, a kind of sense of fear at the heights that cause you to take appropriate caution and put on a parachute. That's good. If you're being chased by a lion, you are going to sense fear and that's going to cause you to react and run away as fast as possible. That's good. If you're going out in, in, the, in the midst of a pandemic, you might have a healthy sense of fear that you could potentially... Uh, and unknowingly spread this virus, and so that might cause you to wear a mask. If, if you're particularly vulnerable to complications from this virus, you might have a, a healthy sense of fear that keeps you going from going out into public altogether. There, there's no sin in such fears. The, the problem is, instead, when you fear things you ought not fear, or when your fear is inordinate, when it controls you and when it overcomes and it outweighs your trust in the shepherd. 
Uh, that's when fear is sinful, when it outweighs your trust in the shepherd. And even still, uh, when, when that kind of fear is present in our lives, the, the heart of our shepherd is not one of disdain and disgust toward you. Rather, it's, it's one of pity and compassion and care. That's the kind of attitude you see in the Lord whenever he addresses his fearful people throughout Scripture. You, you might have heard it said before that, that fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible. And, and in a sense, that, that's true. And yet, you know, let's be clear, uh, it's not a command in the sense that we would normally think of it. Right? So it's not a command in the sense like the, the Ten Commandments are commands. There, it's, it's more like the reassurance that a parent gives a fearful child. If, if a child is fearful, a parent doesn't, doesn't uh, rebuke their children in, in disgust and tell them to get over it. You don't command them to stop being afraid as if they could just will themselves to stop feeling that way. Instead, you hold them in your arms and you comfort them with your presence and you gently and compassionately say, don't be afraid. It's more like the, a word of comfort that's meant to act as a counterweight to the, to the fear in someone's heart. Also that their faith might begin to outweigh their fear. It's more like when Jesus addresses a, a grieving widow in Luke 7.13. Luke writes that Jesus had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Notice, notice do not weep is in the imperative. But it's not a command in the sense that we would normally think of it. It's a word of comfort to a widow in her grief. Likewise, when the Lord says to his people, do not fear, he's not commanding them with a, with a cold heart to get over it, as if that will actually relieve their fears. Instead, he's reassuring them of his presence and reminding them of his promises, and that his presence and promises are acting as a counterweight to the fear in their hearts. And so this verse and others like it, they shouldn't be used as a, as a kind of mallet to beat someone over the head with or even to beat yourself up with. It should be used as a reminder that we, have, we actually have better reasons to not be afraid. We have better reasons to be courageous than we have to be afraid. It should be a comforting reminder in the face of danger and difficulty. The other problem with the way this verse is often approached is, is that we often fail to connect David's lack of faith with David's, or David's lack of fear with David's faith. Those, those braggadocious Christians who, who say things like this with a kind of bravado and pride and pomp completely misunderstand David's tone here. We, we, we mustn't see David's declaration here as stated with, sort of, with a sort of swagger, okay? Especially we American Christians who are tempted to uh, mix Jesus and John Wayne in our Christianity, that, that misses the humility with which the psalm is drenched. David is not self-confident, he's God-confident. He's, he's not confident in himself as a sheep, but in the Lord as his shepherd. And likewise, as we walk through the plights of life, we don't speak with a kind of bravado and swagger when we say that we will not fear. We say it with a limp. We say it with utter dependence upon our God and shepherd, knowing that our safety is not found in us and our strength, but in his sufficiency. He is the shepherd who guides us through the valley. Which reminds me of a kind of story from church history that Charles Spurgeon once retold in a sermon. He said that, that history records the fate of, of two men who were condemned to die in the burning days of Queen Mary. 
And one of them, one of them he, he, he boasted very loudly to his companions of his, of his confidence that he would stand firm at the stake. He didn't mind the suffering, he said. He was so firm and grounded in the gospel that he knew he would never deny it. And he said that he, he longed for that fatal morning where he would be burned at the stake even as a bride longs for the day of her wedding. He's a very poetic man. And one of his companions in, in prison with him was this poor, trembling soul, and, and he was very open about his fear. He openly talked about how he was very much afraid of the fire. He had always been very sensitive to suffering, and he was in great dread that when he began to burn, that the pain would cause him to, to cry out and deny the gospel so much that, 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 that he, was, uh, he was praying and he was continuing to weep and asking his friends to pray for him. He spent very much time in weeping over his weakness and crying out to God for strength. The other man, the strong man, he rebuked him and he chided him for being so unbelieving and so weak. And when that day came, they both came to the stake and the one who had been so bold recanted at the sight of the fire and he went back to live a life of shame and humiliation as an apostate. But the poor trembling man who was humbly dependent on his God and shepherd stood firm as a rock, praising and magnifying God as he was burnt to a cinder. Now, who better embodied the attitude of David here in this psalm? The, the first man was braggadocious and proud. He was self-confident. But when it really came down to it, he was fearful and even controlled and overcome by his fear, which led him to deny his Lord in the face of death. However, the second trusted God and went bravely to his death. And not because he was self-confident. He trembled and wept. He had no confidence in his own strength and resolve and ability to withstand. Instead, he was humbly dependent upon his God and shepherd, saying with humility, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, that's, that's what holds and keeps us in the face of danger and difficulty, in the face of plight and pain. Our, our source of strength and courage is not found in ourselves. It's found in the presence of God, which brings us lastly to the presence of God. David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. That is the source and wellspring of David's courage. He's not, he's not confident in his own strength, in his own wisdom and cunning, in his own ability to preserve himself in the valley. His confidence is in God and in God's companionship while walking through. And we would do well to recognize what David means here when he speaks about the presence of God. He's not talking merely about God's omnipresence. You know, God's omnipresence means that he is, in a general sense, present everywhere at once. Omni meaning all, meaning everywhere, meaning without limitation. And, and that is a, a, a precious belief we hold to as Christians. But that's not, the, that's not the sum of what David is talking about here. He's talking more specifically about God's covenantal presence, that, that special kind of presence that only the one trusting in Christ can claim. 
In a general sense, God is, is present everywhere with everyone because he's omnipresent. But to the Christian, God is present to save and to protect and to uphold and to provide for and to comfort and to shield and to forgive and to transform and to keep and so on and so forth. To the Christian, God is covenantally present. Not just generally so. He's present like a good shepherd is to his beloved sheep. This is what inspires courage and comfort in David. And this is what inspires comfort and courage in us as well. I remember uh, not too long ago, within the span of a week at home, uh, there were several thunderstorms that came during the night. Uh, Now, I I myself, I enjoy a a good, peaceful thunderstorm. The the kind of pitter-patter of the rains and the quiet rumbles of thunder are uh, a, a perfect companion to relaxing, peaceful sleep. But my two of my children feel very much the opposite. They are quite afraid of thunderstorms. And so several nights that week, there would be a, a sort of rumble of thunder in the night. And almost immediately after, we would hear down the hall a cry, and then a door open, and then little feet just quickly make their way down the hall. And little Dietrich would run and, and jump into our bed, climbing between Amy and I. And then he'd fall right back asleep. We didn't sleep very well those nights in our crowded bed, but, but he did. Our, our presence eased his fears, allowing him to rest and be at peace in the midst of the storm. Similarly, when, when the, the storms of life come, when the valley seems dark, when the pains and plights are many, we can run to our heavenly shepherd, finding comfort and courage in him. He has, he has promised to be with us. And to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to be with us even in the valley. And, and, and how do we know this to be true? How do we know that he's truly with us and that he will be with us? We know this because while we as, as fallen humanity living in a fallen world walk through this plight-filled, pain-filled life, our God did not remain aloof and distant from our predicament. Instead, when when the fullness of time had come, the eternal Son of God stepped into our predicament and into our plight and became a human being himself. He subjected himself to all the various trials and troubles we face as humanity. He was betrayed by family and friends. He saw loved ones died. He was slandered and conspired against. He was persecuted and hated. He suffered and died. And when he died, he did so in our place for our sin and lack of faith, for our pride and self-confidence, for our foolishness and sinful fears. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death and he let it overtake him, taking him into the grave, into the dead. And he came through it though. On the third day, he rose again, defeating our enemies and declaring victory over those enemies and dangers which we so fear. And and because of this, when we walk through the valley, he is with us, he is preserving us, he is protecting us, and he is ensuring that all of it works together for our salvation and satisfaction in him. Also that you can say with, with David that although you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil for your victorious Christ is with you. Now as we conclude, how then shall we live in light of this reality? When, when walking through the dangers and difficulties of life, 
We don't need to be controlled and overcome by fear because God is with us. But sometimes we are. So what should we do in order to, to increasingly ease our fears and increase our faith? Five things. And I'll start with P. First, perceive. That is, do the, the hard work of looking at the dangers you're fearing for what they really are. You know, m- most of the time, if we did this, we would likely recognize that what we're fearing is not truly a danger and isn't actually worth the energy we put into fearing it. And Charles Spurgeon, he once said that, that some of the worst evils of this life do not exist except in our imagination. If we had no troubles but real troubles, we would not have a tenth part of our present sorrows. And he's right. Much, much of the time, you know, when we are controlled by fear and overcome by fear, much of what ails us hasn't even happened yet or, and may or may not happen in the future. And yet we let what hasn't happened, what very well might not happen, cause us such pain and suffering and sorrow. So we need to do the hard work of trying to perceive what we're fearing realistically and reasonably. And next, ponder. Ponder. And here I want to ask you, when you're afraid to examine yourself and to ask the question, is, is your fear outweighing your faith? Perhaps you've, you've moved past the step of perceiving and you've determined that what you're fearing is a legitimate danger and difficulty. Perhaps it's even worthy of appropriate concern, but is it controlling you and, and, and overcoming you? Is it a fruit of a lack of faith? If so, then do this next. Proclaim. Proclaim. You need to speak the truth to your fears. You know, it's, it's so easy when you see dangers looming and, and, and shadows rising to get so up in your head and let your fears control your faith rather than your faith control your fears. In the midst of, of this pandemic, it's easy for us to be filled with fear and anxiety at all the thoughts flooding our mind. What if I or a loved one gets sick? What if I run out of money? What if a loved one dies? What if I die? What happens after I die? What if the economy is ruined? What if, what if, what if, and on and on we go. And it's at times like these where one of the best things we can do is to take a deep breath and speak the promises of God to ourselves. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will never leave me or forsake me. He is working all things together for my good. He is with me even when I walk through hard circumstances. The the sufferings of this present age aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory which is to be revealed. The sufferings of this present age are preparing me for that eternal weight of glory. We have many promises that we can cling to and speak to ourselves. So we should speak them to ourselves. Let them act as a counterweight to the fears in our heart. Next is, is not only proclaim to yourself, but pray to your God. Pray. Bring your fears to God in prayer. You notice that that David has actually been proclaiming these truths to himself throughout the psalm. But as we come into verse 4, he begins to speak about these dark valleys, and then the psalm turns into a prayer. He says, you are with me. Dangers may abound in our lives, but the, the sweetness of communion with God in prayer will calm our anxious souls by setting the eyes of our heart on our Savior and Shepherd who is with us. Which brings us next and last. Perceive, ponder, proclaim, pray, and lastly, presence. Remember God's presence. Remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Savior. 
As Paul says in Romans 8, 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Indeed, friends, our our lives, this world is full of dangers and difficulty. We're living in a time where terror is the order of the day, but we have better reasons not to fear. Because while we sojourn through this present age with, with its various valleys, God is our shepherd and we are his sheep. He is with us. He will never leave us. And there's nothing that can separate us from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Seal this word upon our hearts and remind us that you are our shepherd in your Son and by the Spirit. Comfort us, convict us, and lead us into those righteous paths that you've called us. In Jesus' name.